Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark. Let us listen together to what the Spirit has to say to the church. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and our understanding of God's holy word. Friends, I love this passage, and I love the whole idea of transfiguration. I love Transfiguration Sunday. It is not a question for me of did this happen and whether we can understand miracles like this with our cynical modern minds. It is a simple yes and how. How can we get this mystery and miracle of transfiguration, how can we be transfigured? Transfiguration and the hope of it is my personal orientation to the world, and I know I am not alone. I am a big fan of before and afters, both pictures and TV shows, like HGTV design shows that have a glow up, ones like While You Are Out, and there really was one called Divine Design, and I wish that we had capitalized on that first here. I don't have a lot of time to invest in these makeover shows, so I have been known to fast forward to the end and skip over the messy work of demo and reconstruction and get right to the big reveal. But the best one of all to my mind and the one you cannot fast forward is Queer Eye. On its eighth season, and yes, this is yet another sermon sponsored by Netflix, this time it is being filmed in New Orleans, which is great timing since Mardi Gras is officially Tuesday. It is the ultimate show for those like myself who love a good before and after, because it is not just a room that is made over or somebody's wardrobe, but a whole life. The Fab Five each take an area. One does transform the house, and one does transform the contents of the closet. But another teaches cooking, another works on personal health, another introduces culture, and in the process, they transform a person's relationships in their entirety, both self and with others, so that by the end of the week, the person and their whole life are transfigured. And it is done with such a sensitivity and respect for the individual. It is not a one-size-fits-all that everyone gets a gym membership and a white kitchen. No, it addresses exactly the ways a person has given up on themselves and their loved ones 
and it helps them to rediscover their original passions and dreams and recover some hope for their lives. It helps them to get unstuck and take a huge step forward toward their potential. The theme song, Oh, Things Just Keep Getting Better, is such a joy for me to hear. That is my dream, that things just keep getting better. Things don't need to be perfect. They just need to be moving along in the right direction. All of the people who are on this show were nominated because they are heroes in the community who are internally in need of a little love and attention themselves. Last week's sermon was all about the call to serve. This is for the other folks, the ones who serve and serve and serve to the point of neglecting themselves and their needs until they have nothing left to give. They do not take care of themselves because they do not think that they are worthy. They do not see how much love they give to the community. And they don't see that because they don't care for themselves, they are having diminishing returns because they aren't meeting their own basic needs. For them, the work of transfiguration often involves the ways they've neglected themselves and their home and their relationships, but all of this can be transfigured. And none of this work is something you can fast forward through. I know that one of the reasons I love these shows is that I am a one on the Enneagram. If you have done any of this work, you will know what I mean. And if you haven't, I invite you to take the personality assessment. It's sort of like a Myers-Briggs, but it has deep ancient Christian roots, and it is one that psychologists today say that they cannot really poke holes into. There are nine styles or ways of being. So one is the reformer, two is the helper, three is the achiever, four, the individualist, five, the investigator, six, the loyalist, seven, the enthusiast, eight, the challenger, and nine, the peacemaker. Some call ones the perfectionist type, but that isn't quite it. It is just not that things have to be perfect, but that things can be transfigured and transformed. The shadow side of being a one, and by the way, those of you who are helping work on the mic and telling me that I um, needed to speak into this one are probably ones, and any of you who notice when my stole is crooked and are thinking while you're sitting there about how you'd like to give it a good tug, you're probably also ones. I encourage you to try the assessment, and I think everybody could use a little therapy at times in their life, but knowing your number on the Enneagram is a great way to fast forward through a few years of therapy. All of that said, this is a story for all of us who are reformers, but there is something true here in the story for all of us. We all need this momentary respite from the drudgery of life to see a glimpse of perfection, of glory, of Jesus gleaming and glowing and shining, and the story, his clothes were so white, nothing could have bleached them whiter. His companions, as I told the children one Sunday in a children's message, were the heroes that all little children of that time grew up with. If they had action figures in those days, Moses and Elijah would be the Superman and Batman. These were the towering figures who everybody knew their stories. Everybody knew the villains they fought against. Everybody wanted to be just like them. They stood in a unique relationship with God. And here is Jesus in the story, perfect in form and perfect in place on this mountain of God and perfect in company with Moses and Elijah on his right and his left. And the three of them perfect 
in fulfilling how we understand the entirety of the scriptures, Jesus representing the New Testament, and Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. The location, too, perfect, this mountain of God, and it reminds us of the time that Moses, too, was up on Mount Sinai with his face shining and glowing as he comes back down, having received the commandments. It reminds us of Elijah on Mount Horeb, having heard God in the still, small voice. There are Bible geeks who say that these stories interwoven are like biblical time travel, that this conversation was one of those breakthrough or coincident moments when Jesus and Moses and Elijah had this moment all together, and that these stories show us ways to refer to each other in this glorious transfiguration, gleaming moment. And of course, the voice of God breaking through, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. This moment on the mountain is so powerful that Peter and James and John think, why would we possibly come back down from this? They say, let us build three stone huts. Let's stay here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's freeze this moment in time and never leave. But Jesus is the one God has told us we must listen to, and Jesus will not stay there. He knows that we have to go back down, even though the road back down will lead us to death. Why would we want to follow that road to the cross and to Jerusalem? Couldn't we fast forward? Couldn't we stay? Isn't this like a shortcut to Easter? Couldn't we stay right here and have everything perfect? But no, the work of transfiguration means we have to walk that hard road. Transfiguration Sunday comes right when it does in the church calendar because it gives us a vision, a glimpse of Easter. But we have to go do the hard work of transfiguring to get there. I think that this church today is in a transformation, transfiguration mode. As we get ready for our annual meeting, I want to help us think theologically about some of the things that we're going to talk about. Because our gut reaction as a church is very much like the heroes of the Queer Eye Show. We are a servant church. We give and we give and we give and we give. And the thought of taking care of ourselves is something that we want to turn away from. It's off-putting to spiritual people. Couldn't we just continue to ignore some of the needs of the church while we serve and serve and serve? If we were to reinvest in ourselves, wouldn't we feel ashamed, like we are somehow unworthy? But this is a moment for us to begin to get ready to transfigure the church. And I want to help you think about it in theological terms because caring for the church and being as welcoming and hospitable as possible with all of these signs and symbols that go without words is one of the ways that we show the community that we are ready for you, we are expecting you, and there is serious ministry going on here. So you may have noticed some changes and glow-ups recently. Some of them have already been underway. I do apologize to visitors that we're talking shop right now. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. 
we're going to talk about some of the indignities of having a church building, there is a bathroom being demoed right off this back hallway. And some might say, why did we need to do that? There was nothing wrong with that bathroom. Well, there is a theory that church visitors are very likely to visit that space. And if it is very unwelcoming, it gives them a silent signal that we were not expecting you and we don't take ourselves seriously. There is a church vitality playbook that the Reverend Molly Finney Basquette wrote called Real Good Church. And she says you have to clean up some of these spaces and you have to think about the people who are coming in who are going to use them. So as we start to redesign both that space and the hallway to the nursery, I want to help you shift your thinking and not think, look how spoiled and selfish we are being, but look at this face of hospitality we are putting on to people who might come and visit us. That space is the one where a bridesmaid would hand lipstick to a bride right before she walked down the aisle. And the mirror that we will hang there is the one where a man will readjust his tie and look himself in the eyes and say, you can do this before he walks down the aisle to deliver his father's eulogy. That is a very special space that should reflect how seriously we take this work of being a church. And the next space to go is going to be the Wakeman Hall kitchen. And if you have cooked in there, you will say, praise be to God. And I won't need to argue the point of why it needs to be demoed. You will know that that space was built to be a stage and the kitchen was just the storage area behind the stage, and it was retrofitted to be a kitchen, and it is lacking in what it needs. The pipes are past their expiration date, the stove is past its expiration date, the lead paint is flaking off the windows, the electrical's a disaster, the dishwasher floods. I don't want to bore you. You know if you've been in there. There's asbestos in the ceiling of Wakeman Hall. It is time. There is no grease trap that was ever installed. If you care about the environment, you will know that a kitchen that sees this much use could be damaging the water supply if it isn't filtering out what goes down the drain. I could go on and on, but you get the idea. So our building is one of our best assets for ministry. And when we get ready to transfigure that space, we need to call to our mind's eye, what is the glorious space that it could be? What is the community that we could nourish there? What is the food we could cook there if it were brought up to how it could be? And you should know that there are groups that come in to cook every single week in that space. There are children from the public school who are going to have to work very hard to transfigure their own lives so that one day they might possibly be able to live independently. And they come in in wheelchairs and they come in with aids and they learn how to cook in our kitchen. And what does it say to them when the kitchen looks the way it looks now? But what could it say to them when that space is worthy of the transfiguration of their lives that they are trying to do? And to leave aside our own building, our lives and our community are like this. We cannot transfigure if we don't do the hard work of saying, these are the things that need demo. These are the things that need addressing. These are all of the things that are keeping us stuck and keeping us from living into our fullest calling. This past week, our new first selectman read into the record, and two of our church members spoke very powerfully after it was read into the record. A statement about systemic racism in the town of Fairfield. 
This document had been left sitting for two years, but it was read into the record so that we could first name and identify places in our community that need to be uprooted and addressed. This is the very first step, and it is really hard work. If we aren't willing to address the problems, we can't transfigure and we can't get better. Some people want to say, here is a glimmer and a glimpse of how it could be, let's just stay here and call it done. But Jesus leads us back down the mountain to do the hard work of transformation. It's not easy. And our own lives are like this too. I know that every one of us here has places in our lives where we are stuck and we might not want to look inward and say, these are the things that need changing. But this is the work of Lent. Transfiguration gives us a glimpse of perfection and then sends us back down the mountain to get to the work of transfiguration. Friends, God's story with us does have a big reveal. It is going to be Easter Sunday, but we cannot fast forward to get there. The way is difficult. The way takes hard work. The way might bring you to tears and wanting to tear your hair out. But that's why we have this transfiguration, Jesus, in glory on the mountaintop, and God's voice, this is my son, listen to him. So that that vision can show us the way forward so that we can hold on to it all through the hard days of Lent and get ready to be a part of that big reveal. This is the life of a Christian faith. And the good news is we do know that Easter is coming. And we do know that Jesus goes with us along the way. There is a beautiful hymn with the words, Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. We contemplate God's glory, and we get ready to transfigure our own lives, that we might eventually be ready to participate in it. Thanks be to God.